And a lot of times we don't think about prayer as a strategy or work or difficult. We just think it as something when I'm in a pinch, I just kind of, you know, pray to the fix-it, you know, the fix-it guy, the ATM machine, God, and just can you, can you make things better for a while? But we don't think about how beautiful and how amazing it is, the fact that, that we could pray this morning for Lena, who's in India, serving in medical missions. Or we could pray for the weavers who are in northern Canada. Or we could pray for Pastor Sudhakar, who's also in India. Or we could pray for our, our brothers and sisters in, in Acts 29 churches here in Kansas City, around the world. Or, or we could pray for our friends in another country or another state, right? And we could pray for the same things that Paul prays here. We could pray the exact same things, that God would do that in their midst, and we never even have to see them face to face. And so by way of encouragement is that you don't have to have a certain kinds of personality. You, you don't have to have a you know, theological education and have a PhD in Semitic languages to participate in the work of God in the world. And I remember years ago, someone came to me, and, and she was an older woman, and she said, Ryan, I, I love what you're doing here. I, I love all that God's doing, but, you know, I'm just an old lady. What, what can I do? And without hesitation, I say, can you pray? Yeah, I can pray. Well, let's get to work. Prayer is one of those things that we take for granted often because I think as you get a little more educated and you get a little more money, you stop praying because you can just throw education, experience, and money at things, right? So, so rather than going to our knees and begging God, please work in Africa in this crisis, that should be the first thing we do. Obviously, we want to do something about that. Is we go, well, strategize, right? Let's get the, the smartest people in the room. And there, there is that. I'm not saying that that's not important. But, but what Paul gives us this morning in the second half of his prayer is a strategy for us to pray for each other and pray for our world, that God would do certain kinds of things in and through our midst. And so what I want to say for a couple minutes here this morning is that as we look at this kind of second portion of Paul's prayer, which I think is a, an important pattern for us praying together, is that one thing is we need to understand is that every human has natural instincts. And these instincts are nurtured by uh, you know, social realities, spiritual realities. But when someone is born again by the Spirit of God, when someone becomes a Christian, when they become alive in Christ, as the, the Scriptures say, when, when we're rooted in the gospel, we, we, we begin to, to live a different, different life with different kinds of instincts, if you will different kinds of desires, different kinds of, of longings, because the Christian life is not a static thing, because we have a living God, and by His Spirit continues to grow us and shape us and mold us. So it's not just a say yes to Jesus, I love how you guys say, say yes, a one-time event, but it's a constant daily saying yes, 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 help, help, help. <laughs> now, if you follow Christ for more than five minutes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That we don't live in the past, but we live in present and future grace together. And so there are these instincts that, they, that God develops in us. And that's what Paul is praying for, that these, these, these God-given instincts would grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm just going to call them gospel instincts this morning, if that's okay. Maybe I'll write a book about it someday. I don't know. It sounds catchy, right? So first, gospel instincts involve knowledge. This is based on the prayer. Gospel instincts involve living, and gospel instincts involve appropriating power. 
So first, gospel instincts involve, involve knowledge. Notice what, what Paul is praying and asking God for in this prayer. He, he pleads with them in verse 9, and so from the, pleads with God. And so from the day we heard, all talking about what we just read last week, we have not ceased to pray for you. So, so last week we, we heard about this faith that was growing and this love for the church and love for people and this hope that was growing and this grace that was growing uh, in their midst. The evidence is that the gospel was doing work among them, that God was among them. That's all last week. This fruit that was bearing in their lives, this fruit that was bearing out in the world. That's what he's saying. And so from the day we heard of all this, this good things that were happening because of this preaching of the gospel, because of the planting of the gospel and, and the work that Paul did, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, pleading that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul says that we, he wants them to be filled with a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, this little word, be filled, is such a powerful word. It says, it means supplied in generous measure. It's not a one-time interaction. It's not just, you know, it'd be nice if the, the tank was empty in, in the, the family van, and then we just fill it up once and we're good. He's saying, no, 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 no. I, I want it to overflow. I want it to, you ever been in the gas station and you're, you know, filling up the car and you're not paying attention and the gas is kind of spilling. I know they have better mechanics on that now, but that used to be the case, right, if you're not paying attention and it kind of spills down the side of the car. Well, that's a little bit what he's praying. He's praying, I want, to, I want them to feel, I want there to be so much immensity of, of knowledge of God that, that it would just spill out onto the floor. That as the the rain comes and there's a leak in the roof and there's a bucket there, that it would just spill and just continue to spill over and over and over, that they can't even imagine what is going on in their midst. This is not just be filled, you know, a little bit, but a lot. But be filled for what? A knowledge of his will. Knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Standing. Okay, that, that's a, that seems like a loaded term. So, so what is he saying? He's saying to know God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's, let's just say it that way. So, so there's, there's a will that we can know about God, but, it, but it, it's undergirded by spiritual wisdom and understanding. We'll, we'll break those down just in, in a second. But, but what, is, what is God's will? How do we know? That, isn't that the, the question of all questions? That, that's probably the question I get asked all the time is how do I know God's will? You've ever been asked that question? Especially when I was a youth pastor many, many eons ago. You know, every kid, you know, what is God's will for my life? I'm going to graduate high school, and should I go to college? Should I get married? Should I, you know, do all these things? What is God's will? Now, usually when we ask that question, it's basically what do I need to do with my life, <laughs> right? Isn't that typically how we hear it? So there's different kinds of will. But, but what Paul's saying is that it's not just the day-to-day decisions. It will include that, and we'll get into that. But he's saying there's a, there's a bigger, more massive uh, will of God for every human and every believer on the planet. So, so what is that? Well, what Paul is getting after and why I'm saying gospel instincts involve knowledge is there's a particular knowledge that leads to spiritual wisdom and understanding. That, that God's will is really about knowing who we are in Christ and living in light of these things. If you want to break it down to a very, very basic understanding, God's will is that we would know who he is because of Christ and we would live our lives accordingly. That's why the universe exists. 
that we would love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. If you want to break it down, what is God's will for my life? It's the same for everybody's life, that they would know their creator, they would know their redeemer, and they would live in light of who he is and what he's done for them. Now, we know in light of that big overarching thing, there's obviously daily decisions. What is God's will? Should I marry this person? Should I you know, get this job? Let me make this really easy for you of who you should marry if you're in that place. Or um, I'll just use my, my uh, marriage and my experience. How did I know that Christy was the one? Did Cupid show up? Right? Did, 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 was there just a, a feeling deep in my bones that she was the one? And I was just happy that anyone would pay attention to me. Let's just get honest here. But let me tell you why it was God's will for me to marry her. And you know what? Her name is not in the scriptures. It does not tell me who I should marry. You know how I know it's God's will? Because I married her. That's how I know it was God's will. And that's usually how life is. Right? It's not just this, we're always looking for a sign, we're looking for a fleece, we're looking for these things. But I look back and I go, the reason it all happened is because she uh, was born in Canada uh, to her, her beautiful, wonderful family, and her dad was called to serve a church in California, and I was from California, and somehow we, we managed to meet outside of a ceramics class, and God's divine intervention and providence was all there, and it was all love at first sight. Christy probably tell you a different story. But I know it was God's will because I married her. It wasn't if I choose the wrong door, my life is going to be a shipwreck and I'm going to miss. Maybe I didn't hear God. But you see, that's, that's on the, the, the day-to-day the, the, you know, decisions I have to make. But what Paul is praying for is something bigger and wider and, and deeper. That we would know Christ... And we'd live in light of him so as to walk, as he says in verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We'll get to that in just a moment. But you see, Paul knows, and I know, that to walk, not only to know God's will, but to walk in a spiritual, under, spiritual wisdom and understanding, that's a different way of talking about wisdom and living. And, right? I mean, spiritual wisdom is about living. It's about how do I live my life wisely, and all that God has entrusted in me. It's about living. It's not about just knowledge. That's why I'm saying gospel instincts involve knowledge, but it's a certain kind of knowledge. Be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, this isn't book learning. Books can be helpful. I'm a, I'm a bookish guy. I love reading. I think I've, you, know, you can gain a lot of wisdom from just book reading and book learning. And education, but we know there's a limit to that, right? Like we can be as educated as we want, and we know we can put two people that are both extremely educated, one can be extremely wise and one can be not. Or someone who's not educated, one can be very wise and one who's not, right? So it's not just book learning that gets us to this depth of spiritual wisdom and walking wisely before God and in all of life. It's not human, you know, ritual or tradition or religion that's going to get us there. But what Paul is praying is that they need a deep sense and an instinct of who they are in Christ and what has happened to them and how they can practically live out these realities. Because when you become a Christian, there's, there's this, this kind of deep thing in our hearts and our souls that God is, is love, has loved us in such a way 
that he's he's forgiven us, that he's leading us, he's guiding us, right? Like I always talk about, I use this phrase, I've been haunted by Christ for 20 years. Like I just can't shake him, not that I try. But, but I just, I, when, I, when I step back from my life, I just go, how did we end up here, God? Like I'm standing on a stage talking about the, the immensity and the beauties and the grace and the mercies of Christ. You must have a really good sense of humor. I don't come from a, a line of preachers. I don't come from even a, a big, giant, massive Christian family. It's, it's only God's grace that I'd even be standing in front of you this morning. But you see, what God is doing by his spirit is he's developing in us this, this taste and this wonder and this, this amazement at what God has accomplished for us in Christ. And that's what Paul is praying for this young baby church. That they'd understand that this, this instinct involves a knowledge, but it's a, it's a spiritual wisdom and understanding of who God is and how we live in light of those things. And, and because they're baby Christians, it has to be cultivated and it has to be deepened. When you become a Christian, it doesn't all come at once, does it? It's, it's a daily, you know, some have said it's a daily decision for Christ. We talk about, you know, the, my decision for Christ. But it's a daily submission. It's a daily taking up your cross. It's a daily praying like Paul prays for his people to, to, to have that wisdom and have that knowledge and that understanding that comes from God, that, that I belong to Christ because of what he's done for me, that, that, that I, am, I, I am forgiven, that I am a child of God that can never be taken away, that I'm to live a certain way in light of these, these things. I love what the, the uh, reformer, uh, the, the Lutheran, um, Martin Luther, um, you, you remember, uh, he was uh, such a big influence in the Reformation and, and the way he talked about the gospel. And he used to say, you know, we need to preach the gospel and then just continue to beat it in the heads of God's people. Um, I love that because that's what Paul's praying here is we forget who we are. We, we lack the wisdom. We lack the understanding. It's not just static. It's a daily for all of eternity kind of thing. So notice what he says here. The phrase is, to be filled, he's commenting on this phrase in verse 9, to be filled, that is not merely to grasp and accept such knowledge with the ears, but to become rich and constantly grow in this knowledge. Now you have started well and are beautiful, young, fresh saplings. <laughs> I love that. But this does not mean that it is enough to have begun or that once we have heard and understood this, that we are finished learning and are fully formed. Exclamation point, just for emphasis. Rather, this is the kind of thing that must be constantly lived out and practiced as long as we live on earth until it is fully orbed and perfect. It's a embracing by faith, even as Paul said last week, it's an understanding of this grace, but it's also living and practicing it for a lifetime as it goes deeper and deeper in us. I love we sang that song. I think it's a Chris Tomlin song, possibly. I mean, he's written every song I guess there is, but... Deeper love, deeper into understanding the Father's love for us. So it's a it's a constant, and and and, and here here's why this is so important. Because what the Christian faith is all about is not just ritual and tradition and saying okay yes to Jesus because he did something on the cross, but it's about God supernaturally, divinely getting at the core, at the soul, at the heart of who we are. And changing us, making us into new creations. Because I know that I'm selfish. Any amens to that? I mean, not on my behalf, but I mean, I, I meant you. Yeah, you're like, amen. Yeah, I got really loud. I'm unloving. I'm impatient. I'm full of pride and arrogance. 
And I have all kinds of what Augustine says, disordered loves. That I love the things I, I shouldn't love way too much. The things I should ultimately love, I, I don't love enough. Any amens to that? That, that, that's who we are, even after Christ, right? We're, we're, we're learning, we're growing, we're deepening in these things. We're, we're, we're warped, so we need something deeper. We need something in the soul and the heart, the seed of our affections, the seed of our actions, that God would, would do something. And this is why Paul is praying for this deeper transformation, that just academics and, and believing certain facts aren't going to do it. We need a heart change. Life is too hard. There's too much injustice in the world. There's too many things that we need to be a part of. But if we think we're just going to do it by mere willpower and effort, it's not going to happen. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, before we get into gospel instincts involved living, notice how Jesus talks about the will of God. Because I think this is really helpful. In Matthew chapter 12... Jesus is surrounded by his, his mother and his brothers. And he says something very interesting at the end of Matthew 12, verse 46. He says, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so what Jesus is doing, he's redefining the family. He's not just saying, hey, biological, he's not saying biological families don't matter, but he's saying that anyone that does the will of God, that anyone that is trusting in the Father, anyone that is trusting and loving and, and submitting themselves, living for whatever language you want to do, they're seeking the kingdom. Anyone that does that is about that is doing the will of God. That's what you're made for. That's what you and I are made for. Now, it's going to take on all kinds of different shapes and sizes in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, and what God has called, to, called you to do, of course. But he's saying, you want to know who my family is, is those who do the will of the Father, who trust me, who love me, who are walking with me, who listen to my voice. That's my family. That's my family. Now, the Apostle Paul, the same one who wrote Colossians, not Collisions, um, I think that's in a different book, but, but Romans chapter 12, probably have this memorized, probably on a coffee mug somewhere, but Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so Paul does this massive thing in Romans, all the first you know, 11 chapters. Here, here's what God has done in Christ. We are justified by faith. It's nothing you could do. It's, it's faith alone, grace alone, yes and amen. And he says, in light of those things, now offer your life as a living sacrifice. Live every moment for him. Continually submit yourself, your, your life, your time, your money, your family, everything that you are, your head, your heart, your mind, all before the Lord. And... Do not be conformed to the world, but by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as your mind is being renewed by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God. So, so what he's saying is that, that as God is transforming us, ultimately our minds and our hearts, we could assume that too. 
is that he's helping us that when we are confronted with temptation, when we are confronted with false teaching, when we are confronted with decisions every single day, we can know what the will of God is, his good and acceptable and perfect will. And most of the time when you and I make a decision on what is the will of God, you're simply asking the question, is this consistent of God and who he is in his character? It's not always just, well, do this specifically. I know God can do that. You know, you need to move through this thing. You need to marry this person. I know he can, he can speak in that way if he wants to. But, but in the end, when you're discerning God's will, is this immoral what God is asking me to do? <laughs> is this job promotion just about money and prestige and power? Not to say God couldn't call you to that by any means. It, it is marrying this person, is this, is this a good relationship? Is this going to honor God? But you see, the the impetus is developing that gospel instinct and understanding who you are in Christ. So when you make those decisions, you know it's pleasing to God. Because here's the thing. You've heard the iceberg analogy, right? 90% of an iceberg is below the surface, right? So when you see an iceberg, you only see about 10%. Well, your life and my life's are like icebergs. You can't see my heart. You can't see my soul. You can't see my mind. So most of our decisions are just unconscious, subconscious, if you will. Right? You, 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 don't, you don't have these reflective moments like, should I put on the seatbelt? Should I turn on the ignition? Right? You just do it. <laughs> I'm going to go and pray. Should I put on my seatbelt today? No, you just do it, right? You just eat food, right? You wake up, you just, you just, you just respond, right? So, so when, when something comes in your way in the workplace or, or, or your kids are freaking out or whatever, you just typically respond. You're not just like, hold on, kids, I need to go to a mountain. I don't think I'm going to respond very, very well here. I need to reflect on what is going on. You just respond from the inner you, from your soul, from your heart. So when an opportunity comes... The question will be, how close have we been walking with Jesus? How much have we been renewed and transformed in such a way that when those things come, I'm not going to fall into temptation or tests or or whatever is coming my my way. I just can make a a decision that is pleasing to God. And there's certain things you don't need to pray about. God said to love your neighbor. Do you need to pray about that? Maybe for the impetus to to do that well and the wisdom of how that looks like, sure. But, but, but there's certain things God has commanded, right? You, we don't just go, well, I should pray about it. Well, no, he actually said it's very clear. No, you should do that. <laughs> like we should, we should care about the, 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 the unjust things in the world and, and our neighbors, right? I mean, whether it's you know, water in Africa or, or, or someone across the street in need, there's a lot of times we don't need to pray about those things. God is making it very, very clear. But as I respond to those things, am I the kind of person that God, am I, do I have the, the character, the love, the grace, the mercy? The, the, those are the, the instincts that God wants to build in us. Okay. But gospel instincts also involve living. And I'm not going to say a whole lot on this one. I'm actually going to spend more time on the last one. But, but flowing into this, Paul cares very much so, not just by having the spiritual wisdom and insight of who God is, what he's done for us, and how we're to live in light of those things, um, but, but, but there is a, a particular lifestyle that Paul is after. Did you, did you catch it in, in Colossians? In verse 10? 
So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, so he spends all this time out, I'm praying that you'd be filled with this knowledge, with this wisdom, with this understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's about living. That's a lifestyle, right? The, this idea of walking, it's a very, very Hebrew Old Testament idea. You know, we, you walk along, you follow the, the rabbi, you follow the teacher, right? The, a relationship with God, is, we always talk about, is a walk with the Lord. That's where that comes from. It's, it's God leading us, his, his ways, his commands, his will, his character, right? It's us trusting him and following him, walking with him. So how do I live in such a way that reflects that God is my all in all, that Jesus is ruling and reigning in me, that, that, that God is my, my treasure, he's my ultimate, right? How, how do I walk in a manner that is worthy of him? So Paul's not just concerned with that we would have some kind of wisdom to live and, and understanding of who God is and who we are in light of those things, but we would live in a very particular way. He also says that we would bear spiritual fruit, a certain, a lot of what he talked about last week. That we would have faith, that we would have love, that we would have hope. But that we would live a life worthy, pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, one of the, the myths that I, I love to um, just deconstruct and, and just say this is really silly, but, but you know, one of the things I hear a lot from people, and even my, my friends who aren't Christians, they'll say, God only cares about making our lives miserable. So when you become a Christian, there's no more fun. Right? That's, that's God's number one goal and his will for the universe is to make people miserable. All right, make them religious, make them uptight, just got to go to church a lot, like multiple times a day multiple times a week, and then, you know, maybe you can watch TV once in a while. But also, there's another myth that I think is undergirding that is also that God is never happy with you. That even when you are trying to live a life worthy of him, that he's always mad, and yeah, that's good, but just not close enough, buddy. Maybe you grew up in some of those environments. But see, I love this Paul, that, that Paul this prayer Paul prays, because he's kind of unearthing that's not what God is like at all. And it's a little bit like this way, that we can see God in two ways. It's, it's kind of like the parent who sees their kid eat solid food, maybe for the first time, and says, well, it's not steak. I mean, it's, it's okay. He did okay. But it's not steak. Or, or maybe you see your kid walk for the first time, and you're just like, well, he's not running. I mean, okay, he walked. Right? Now, we, I hear a little, <laughs> that's funny, like, no crazy person would say that. Well, maybe you have. Maybe you are crazy. But, <laughs> Or another way to look at that is we could celebrate the progress in light of their design. Like, you don't expect a one-year-old to run. And, and if they do run, just take advantage of that. There's some money coming behind that somehow, <laughs> some way. Reality show, I don't know. But take advantage but we celebrate God's good design that at an appropriate age, they're going to walk, right? How many times as, as a parent, you forget their, their kids, right? You expect them to be adults. But they don't have the emotional maturity and the, and the capacity to, to understand even what's going on. Their whole world is just black and white. They're not thinking about time and space. And, and yes, Father, you know, it would be great on Wednesday if we had an appointment and we did these things. That, that, everything's about the moment, isn't it? And if you have animals, it's about the moment, too. I remember years ago, we had a dog, and they, they told us, they say, hey, you can't scold a dog like three hours later. They don't know what's going on and why they're being scolded. 
You've been there, right? Like, why did you do that? They're like, huh, what? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I, I chewed up your couch three hours ago. But they, don't, they didn't know that, right? Everything's in the, in the moment. But you see, this is what God does. It's, we, we stumble along. We, we, we don't do as, as God should, but God rejoices in his spiritual toddlers who bear fruit. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 15. That yes, we can actually please God. And God can be pleased with our actions. He's not keeping a scorecard. That went away with the cross. But he's celebrating our design as he's redeemed us and made us. He's going, yes, a life worthy of me, pleasing to me. And again, we're going to fall on our faces more than we're going to succeed. But God is not like that. God is not the parent that says, well, yeah, he's walking, but he's not running. That's not who God is, the, at least the God I understand that's revealed in scriptures. And, 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 and I want to just turn to that John 15 passage because I think it's important. Jesus says in John 15, towards the end of his life, in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And you see what pleases God, just, if we just stop right there, is people that acknowledge and go, apart from God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, no fruit is coming out of this life. No transformation is coming out. That's what pleases the heart of God. To say, there's nowhere else I can go. I, I can read all the, the self-help books I want. I can listen to all the tapes. I know we don't listen to tapes anymore. But, but, but you know, I, I can do all those things. But it's someone that glorifies God and goes, God, help me. I can't be the kind of person. I can't love the way you want me to love. I can't forgive the way you want me to forgive. I can't believe the way you want me to believe and trust unless you do something divinely supernatural in and through me. Apart from you, I can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done to you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and to prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. As his disciples, Jesus' disciples and us as his disciples, bear fruit, and we begin to see these kinds of lives lived, God is pleased. You know why? Because he celebrates the fact that he redeemed us and what he said would come true is coming true. And he goes, yes, that's what you're made for. That's what I'm doing in you. And it isn't amazing at the end. I mean, all these, this talk about, you know, God just wants to ruin our lives. He, he says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love that. The joy of Jesus himself, the joy that Jesus experienced, the love of the Father, this perfect relationship with God, the, the freedom that this guy lived in was absolutely astounding. If we look at his life in the Gospels, he says, that joy that I had with the Father and that joy that I had in my life, I want that to be yours too. And Paul's going to say the, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, right? Uh, imagine a God who says, I want to give you all of that. that. This is the feast. This is what you get when you become my disciples and you are trusting in me. I'm going to do something so rich and so deep and so profound in you that you're actually beginning to love people. You're actually going to have joy and peace and self-control that, that every temptation that comes your way, you don't have to say, yes, I want that. I need that. We actually could say, no, there's going to be peace in your life. There's going to be faithfulness in your life. There's going to be long-suffering in your life and I'm going to do it by my spirit and by my grace. It's something you can't create within yourself. 
And as you walk more in that, it's absolutely pleasing to me because that's what I made you for. That's not a God who doesn't want us to have any fun, is it? Because, I know fun can be used in just wicked ways, I get it. But the freedom that comes from knowing my sins are forgiven, the freedom that comes from knowing I don't have to please you or my family or anyone or live for an audience of what, how I'm perceived, there's freedom in that. But to please an audience of one, that doesn't mean I don't care what other people think of me. You should, unless you're a psycho. Right, that's, that's a little bit of the misnomer. Well, I don't care what other people think of me. Well, you should if you're a jerk, because you're being a jerk, right? Like we actually do deep down. But, but there's a freedom that, 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 that is mine now because I've been forgiven that I'm a child of God, that I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to be anything. That if I have great success in ministry or not or fall on my face, it doesn't matter. If I have great success in my business or my job or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If I'm an okay husband or, or, or a daddy or whatever, like there's grace in the midst of all those things. I don't have to be someone, but I belong to the king. And there's great, great joy in that. And if we follow the thread of the scriptures, Paul is going to say something else in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore, a, prison for the, uh, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, eager to maintain. There's a spiritual dynamic that we have to understand for this to work in our lives is that how do we live these kinds of lives? Like, is it possible to live a life of good works and fruit and hope and love and joy and and all these things? Well, yes. And and the way Paul's going to say it in his prayer is gospel instincts also involve appropriating a certain kind of power. Did you catch it in that prayer, what he prays? If you go back to, to Colossians 1. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's saying in the end, you need God's power, like power that he gives you for what? He gets very, very specific. You may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I love that. Not just patience. I'm good at impatience with no joy. He's saying patience with joy. What is he talking about? Why do we need endurance? Because have you lived for more than five minutes? <laughs> How do you keep walking with Christ with all the temptation, all the stuff going on around you, all the stuff going in your, in your heart? Like, How do we keep going, right? So he's praying that he's like, you need God's power to keep doing, keep going, keep, keep moving on. When the, when the, you know, in this context, when the false teachers come in and they're, they're tempting you, you need God's power to keep walking, to keep going. But you also need patience with joy because it's not all here yet. We haven't seen it all yet. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 8, the, the seen and the unseen. That if we, if we put all of our eggs in, the, in the, the seen basket, that everything I can taste and touch and, and hold, if that's where my hope lies, we're going to be very disappointed. But if I put it in the unseen, where Christ has done something in redemption and is going to make all things new, I will wait with patience. And then Paul's going to add here in Colossians, patience with joy. 
that even in the midst of trial and suffering, I can still wait for it with joy. Like this isn't the end. Death's not the end. Sin's not the end. Cancer's not the end. Injustice is not the end. God is redeeming and restoring all things. So so this gospel instinct involves appropriating power and praying for this power to come so that we can live these kinds of lives that that God would want us to live. Now, there's one thing I've, I've left out on purpose is that you have to, to walk in this kind of power is know something very, very specific. Because if you don't, you're going to leave here and just go, okay, i gotta, you know, I gotta, I got to pray more. i gotta, I got to do some stuff. You're going you're gonna to try to operate out of your own power and your own strength. But, but look, look at what Paul says. It's so brilliant what he says. In verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So, so two words, just real quick, qualified and delivered. You've been qualified. You know that word? Dan Mock would know this from real estate, right? The loans, right? You're qualified, right, for X amount of dollars. It's yours, right? If you can, you know, and you guys kind of work work on it. So you can get even more if you want. You don't need to get this little cheap house. You can get, like, a lot more. Um, but, but you've been qualified, right? The, the papers are in. It's yours. The, the loan has been accepted. It, it, it's yours. You've been qualified for an inheritance. Well, when's this inheritance coming? Well, it's coming in the future, just like Paul prayed in the first few verses, this, this hope that's already secured for us in heaven. That this is yours. You're qualified for this inheritance that everything that Christ gained, you gain too. You are co-heirs with Christ. All the spiritual blessings of Christ are yours too. All the, the redemption, all the forgiveness, all of that is yours. You are qualified and not only that, Paul's going to say in Ephesians 1, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guarantee of this inheritance. So each and every day, you're going to be reminded you're already qualified. You're already His. It's coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Wait with patience. Patience with joy. It's, it's coming. But you've also been qualified, delivered, that you used to live in a domain of darkness. You used to, 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 to not love God and, and, and you used to, to, to be, follow the air that, that Paul says. We followed Satan and we had our own ways of living. And with it didn't have anything to do with Christ and trusting him for, for life and grace and salvation and, and hope. But now you've been redeemed, Old Testament language. You've been set free like Moses, delivering his people from slavery and bondage. You have freedom now. And your sins have been forgiven. You're no longer shackled and bound by sin any longer. The note's been paid and canceled. You are delivered. And now you live in a total different domain, the kingdom of his son, where grace and mercy and life and salvation reign. Qualified and delivered. Do you know that's true of you? Because if you don't know it's true, Paul's going to say it's a nightmare trying to pull this off. And that's why he tacks it on to the end, because he says, as you're praying this, as you're praying 
Just like he prayed, you know, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that they would understand God's will for their life and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge, that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that they would have endurance and patience with joy. If you don't understand that you've been qualified and delivered, good luck. It's already yours. It's already yours. That's how the gospel works. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, now live a life worthy of me. After he spends three chapters telling us about the good news of the gospel and and what Christ has accomplished, he doesn't say, hey, just go be good people. Just go go try to figure it out. He says, no, 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 this is what happens to you. This is who you are. This is what God's doing. He's building in you this gospel instinct. Now go live a life worthy of him in light of those things. Go love your wife and your, your husband's a certain way and your kids a certain way and, and in, at work a certain way and your neighbors a certain way and, and, and all these kinds of things because of what's been done to you. Because you've been qualified and you've been delivered. Now, how do you know if that's you? Is there any way of, of knowing this? I think there is. And I left out another little word that's vitally important for understanding Christian spirituality. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Is your life marked by thanksgiving and gratitude for who Christ is, for what he's done, that you are qualified and delivered? Does that do something in your heart each and every day? Is that real in your life? Like I can, I can, I can stand and go, <laughs> I know my life you know, is, is inconsistent. I know, you know I, I need help. I need grace. I need mercy. I need all this prayer. I, I need all that. But I can say, thank you, Lord who you are and what you've done. If there's not a consistent, constant thanksgiving, not to question your faith by any means, but that should mark us as God's people, shouldn't it? Like we come on a Sunday morning, it's not because, you know, we don't have anything better to do. It's it's a nightmare getting kids out of the house. It takes work, right? When it's freezing out, you know, hey, I love to be cozied up next to the fire, Right? But when we come and we gather and we say, thank you, God, look what you've, you've done. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe this has happened to me. Is there any of that going on in your heart? And I think sometimes that thanksgiving and gratitude, we have to continually pray for that and cultivate that and ask for that because it's not always conscious. It's a lot of times spontaneous. And we need help. So... Church, from this little short prayer, God is wanting to to develop in us these gospel instincts that involve knowledge and living and appropriating power, God's power in our lives. And, And I want to suggest something just as we close and take the Lord's Supper. When it comes to prayer, here's where I see, and I and I'm guilty of this too, so don't hear like, you guys, I have this nailed. A lot of time prayer becomes asking for things that are very tangible. Um, nothing wrong with that. But we see God as kind of the fix-it. So i got a problem in my life, I need God to fix it, right? It's, it's tangible, it's measurable. So, so, you know, God, do that, fix that. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. That needs to be included in our prayer life. But I want us to start praying these kinds of prayers. Because this gets below that. Not only that God would heal someone, but he'd also give them the, the, the strength and the endurance and, and, and the power to walk right through the midst of suffering. How about that? That we would begin to pray just like Paul prayed 
for this kind of power, for this kind of wisdom, for this kind of strength. Even other places where Paul prays that we would understand how deep and wide the love of the Father is. That, that because that gets below, that gets deep down into our souls and our hearts because that's where we live our lives from. So may we as New City Church begin to pray these things more than we do in our city groups, in our daily lives, with our spouses, with our friends, wherever we find ourselves. Because I know for me, can you at least pray that for me? If you don't want to pray for other people, fine. Just, just me at least. Selfishly, I need that kind of power to, to live each day as God would want me to live. And, and, I, and I think if we're all honest this morning, I think you do too. So, so let's pray that into existence and reality and more and more in our lives and in our church family. As we, we take the, the Lord's Supper, the, the mission of Jesus was so that we could be qualified and we could be delivered by the cross and by his resurrection. That we could have an inheritance that is forever. And he did it. It's finished. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by life, you're feeling like, man, I just don't measure up. I, I don't know this whole pleasing God thing. I, I just feel like I'm not doing very well at this. Just, just know that Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. In faith in him, we are qualified and we are delivered. That doesn't go away by our feelings. (laughs) And and he came so that we could also know the will of God. That we're made by God to know God and love God all of our days. And Jesus has made that very clear by his life and his death and his resurrection. So if you're a believer in Christ, please come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. We have two uh, groups up in the front, uh, two uh, servers Break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. We have some gluten-free, nut-free bread in the middle. If you have any kind of allergies, please feel free to take that. And if you're not a believer in, in Christ, we just ask that you stay, stay seated. There's a couple um, prayers in the city life that you can pray and, and read over, and uh, hopefully those serve you well as you seek for uh, truth. And we also say here a lot, just we pray that you begin to doubt your own doubts. Um, we've all been there. And, uh, and we're not pretending that any of this is easy to grasp or just, oh, yeah, sure, why not? A guy lived and rose from the dead, and, you know, sure, why not? Um, but we know that God gives us uh, eyes to see and faith to believe, and, uh, and it's not all on us either. So that's really good news for people like me. Um, so with that, let us pray. Father, make this prayer um, real in the lives of New City and in our lives, that we begin to pray like Paul did, because I think this Young church needed strengthening, and I think we need strengthening constantly, daily. That we would bear fruit, God, that we bear good fruit, that we would uh, live lives of good deeds and good, good works, God, that we would have spiritual wisdom and understanding, Father, that we would have faith and love and hope, that, that we would um, walk in a manner worthy of you, God. Make that true in our midst. And also help us believe and see that, that you're not a God who is always disappointed with us. But even the cross would say that you weren't ultimately disappointed that you sent your only son to die for us so that we could have joy in you, God. So um, help us believe that. Help us walk in that. Help us pray differently. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.